I'm just going to give Vera a very brief introduction because she'll be talking about her own life in just a minute. But it's been a great joy to have Vera being part of New Life Church. And as I said last week, Vera is our missionary to the students in Toronto at U of T. And we we support her as a church and we really want to support her um, in in every way we can. And so part of that is just by hearing more of what she does and hearing what's on her heart. And so I'm just going to just going to pray now and then I'll hand over to Vera. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear what you are doing and to support your work in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, good morning. Uh, so I'm just going to briefly let you guys know what we're going to be talking about. Andrew told me an outline is very helpful when you're speaking. So, uh, so I just want to share with you a little bit about the work of InterVarsity here in Toronto and also across Canada, and also my story and how God uh, has called me to participate in this ministry. Uh, and through uh, the course of this little talk, I'll, I'll just highlight some passages that God has brought up over the past seven years uh, of my work with InterVarsity that have just been pivotal in my understanding of ministry and uh, how God has used those to call me into ministry. And the question I have for you is, what is something big or small that Jesus is inviting you to say yes to? So one of the themes that I'll be talking about is, what does it look like to say yes to Jesus when he invites us uh, to do something? Uh, so before I begin, I think... Oh, no. Back. So I'll tell you a little bit about InterVarsity. I studied history uh, in university, so I like looking back uh, and finding out where things come from. So InterVarsity, uh, as an organization, started in Canada in 1928, so a very long time ago. And it came from Britain. <laughs> the British movement was also called InterVarsity. And they had heard about the spiritual decay in Canada, that Canada was in need of missionaries. So they asked... Uh, a student, Howard Ganesh, to come over to Canada and uh, travel across the country starting Christian uh, groups on university campuses. Uh, so the fellowship raised enough money to buy him a one-way ticket to Canada, and they said, by the time you're done, hopefully we will have enough money to buy you another ticket to return home. Uh, and he went and for 14 months traveled across Canada planting uh, different student groups in the universities. Uh, he also started camping ministry. Uh, so he started something called Ontario Pioneer Camp, which is here in Ontario, uh, where student, high school students and university students could go uh, spend time together learning, growing. Uh, and now there's about nine camps across Canada, university camps. Uh, he also started uh, high school ministry. So university wasn't enough, camp wasn't enough. He started to go into high schools and start Christian groups there as well. Uh, and they were called Inner School Christian, the Inner School Christian Fellowship. Uh, uh, not a lot has changed since 1928. This is uh, what our ministry looks like today. We have camps, uh, we have student groups in universities and in high schools across Canada. Uh, so InterVarsity is a ministry, a missional organization uh, that hopes to see students transformed into fully committed followers of Jesus uh, and help students understand that they are also missionaries in their schools and on their campuses and launch students uh, to, be, to reach their non-Christian classmates. So that's kind of a little bit of history of InterVarsity. So now a little bit of my history. So my parents really don't like taking photos, and this is the most recent family photo I could find <laughs> um, in my collection. Uh, I was born in Russia in a small town called Tula. Um, me and my family immigrated to Canada when I was three. Uh, and I grew up in North York, which is just a half an hour north of here, uh, in a Russian Orthodox 
home or a nominal Russian Orthodox home. So as I was growing up, we kind of went to church once a month, slowly turned into once a year, and then not really at all. Um, but yes. So, oh, we'll just pause there. Um, yeah, so as I was growing up, I didn't really know much about God, but in grade seven, I decided I wanted to go to a private school. I was very passionate about my education at 13 for some reason. My parents were very proud, very happy to say yes to my wish, and I found one in my area. Um, just 20 minutes from my house, and I went in for an interview, and it, it went well, and by the end of the interview, the principal says, you do know that this is a Christian school, yes? And I say, oh, yes, of course. I, I go, We go to church as a family every week. I don't know why I said that, but uh, the principal kind of smiled and said, okay, didn't believe me. Uh, so I kind of say I lied my way into Christian school. Um, and that's how it started. So my first year at this Christian school was a huge culture shock. Um, the teachers prayed most of the time. We had Bible study or a Bible class. And um, I was called up to do trivia once. And I knew nothing and let my team down and never was asked to play again. Uh, and I really didn't know anybody. So that first year, I was really struck with loneliness um, in a different culture, different place, different people. And so when my teachers started talking about God, started talking about having a relationship with God, I was drawn to that. Um, about halfway through that first year, I, I, I came to faith. I said, yes, I will believe in God. Um, I will pray to Jesus to come into my life. Um, and that's kind of how my faith journey began. Um, I didn't realize at that time you had to surrender your life to Jesus and that he would really drastically change your life. That came a bit later on. But that was the beginning of my relationship with God. Uh, so for five years, I stayed in the Christian school, um, and I just grew in my understanding of who God was. Um, and then I went to university, Queens, to study English and history. I wanted to become a teacher, uh, and I very quickly realized that um, no one was really Christian <laughs> around me anymore. So I was submersed in this Christian culture. I'd learned a lot. I, I, I grew a lot. But coming to university, I realized I actually had to make a decision if I was going to keep keep up with this uh with this faith that I had been um, committed to five years ago. And I spent a good year wrestling with this question. Um, my family, they weren't believers. I, I kind of went to a church uh, to get some more information. Um, but I realized very, I, I needed to make a decision. I was either in or out. Uh, it wasn't easy to be a Christian anymore uh, or to be surrounded by other Christians. Uh, so around the end of the year in April, I remember sitting in church and the pastor was talking about uh, getting baptized. And I had been going to church off and on and I was just kind of sitting in the back. And the second he said uh, that there was going to be baptisms, I knew that I was going to be baptized. And I said, no, I really don't want to. I don't know anyone in this church. I don't want to get up and talk and share my feelings and then get baptized in a very shallow pool on stage. It, it felt very scary to me. Um, but I knew it was an invitation from God. I knew that he was saying, Vera, time's the time has come, uh, choose uh, choose me, choose to get baptized. And so I said, okay, I will. Um, I got baptized, and then I decided I would follow Jesus. Um, and looking looking back, that was a very pivotal moment in my life. Um, things started to drastically shift and change, uh, and I decided I needed a community. So I came back for second year of university and started looking around for uh, different fellowships to be a part of. I joined, um, I started volunteering in the church I was attending, just trying to connect with people and understand, okay, so what does this life of following Jesus um, look like in this new season? That same year, InterVarsity sent a staff and a student to Kingston from Waterloo. 
Um, in Waterloo, uh, there's a university called Laurier, and they had experienced a, a mini revival. So over the four years uh, that the staff was there, many students became believers. And they said, you know what, we need to bless the rest of Canada. Let's just send new staff to campuses that don't have any staff. And so I was there in my second year receiving this, uh, these staff. And a student who chose to transfer from Laurier to Queens just to plant the fellowship at, at, in Kingston. So I loved being a part of this group. We started from scratch, and the focus was always mission. The DNA of the group was how do we uh, help people discover who Jesus is. That same year, I went to a conference called Urbana. It was just three months after the year started. Again, I, the staff invited me, and I said, okay, yes, I'll, I'll go. It's three-day, five-day commitment. It's okay. Um, the conference happens every three years, St. Louis. Um, so we took a long bus ride down to the very cold St. Louis. Um, and the conference is really about helping students understand that they are missionaries on their campus. They're not just students, but they have an opportunity to participate in God's mission while the, on campus. Um, at the conference, we studied the book of John. It was really great. The first night, I remember it very clearly, um, we were looking at John 1, 14. Here? Yes. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. It was a very short talk. It's a very short verse, but it influenced the way that I saw myself as a student and, um, a missionary on campus. So the speaker talked about Jesus being the model, the means, and the message for for our ministry. Uh, Jesus is the model of ministry. Just like he came to dwell with us, the word became flesh, we are called to dwell with people that we hope to reach. God is an an incarnational God, so we should be incarnational people. Um, This helped me choose to start living with non-Christian friends in university. So I remember we were talking about living together I think this is falling out. Living together um, as Christians in a house, we would pray together. But then one of my friends said, you know what, I, I actually have a couple non-Christian friends. I think I'm going to live with them. Uh, we were good friends, and she very quickly said, you know, you should come along. And I said, no, no, that's not for me. That's not for me. But I remember going back to this verse and saying, oh, actually, I think maybe this is what God is inviting me into, to live with people who aren't believers so that I can share who Jesus is with them, with the way I live, the way I the way that um, I would be with them. Um, the speaker also mentioned that Jesus is the means to our ministry. It's not only through, uh, it is only through Jesus that the work of God is possible. It's only in partnership with Jesus that we are healed, and then it's only through Jesus that we can see the glory of God. Thank you. Yeah, that's better, thank you. So, I really only started to understand this verse later on when I started doing um, ministry full-time, but it's not based on our effort or our skill that the kingdom of God moves forward. It really is the work of God, uh, and he invites us to participate in it. Ministry is not about my glory, it's about God's glory. And I am not the means to ministry. Uh, the ministry, um, I, I cannot change people. That is the work of Jesus. So sometimes I say the worst thing a student can say to me when I'm working with them is, I'm leading a Bible study because my staff worker, Vera, said it was a good idea. It's a bad answer. Good answer is, I am leading a Bible study because I love Jesus and I want to be faithful to the thing that he is calling me to do. Uh, The last point the speaker talked about, that Jesus is the message um, that we preach. He is the gospel. So 
The message is that God made his dwelling with his people. God came into human form to be with his creation. That glory, that his glory is revealed through Jesus, the one who is filled with grace and truth. Uh, so this verse is short, and but I think it really summarizes the gospel. And I remember learning different ways to communicate the gospel. Remember the bridge where you're on one side, God is on the other, and then uh, the cross is in between, and you can cross and, and meet with God through Jesus. And I remember in first year, I shared this with one of my friends on my floor, and she was very unimpressed and not very interested. I, I don't think I did a very good job of explaining it. Um, her name was Shiva. Uh, we stayed friends for the majority of our undergrad, um, and she started to notice that my life was looking a little bit different. So after I got baptized and joined with InterVarsity, was doing some more intentional work on campus, she kind of would come along and say, you, this is very interesting. I think I want something like this one day. Um, after we graduated uh, university, we stayed friends, and she agreed to do a Bible study with me, uh, which was a very big surprise. But in the Bible study, uh, we were looking at the story of Jesus calming the storm. And by the end, I said, you know, let's just pray and see if like God has anything to say to us. And in that time of prayer, she felt that Jesus had come to her and embraced her in the middle of her difficulty and her storm, that Jesus came to dwell with her. Um, later that year, she got baptized, and I just met with her a couple of days ago, and she was telling me about all the incredible things that God has done for her and her husband in their first year of marriage. And I, I look back and I think, wow, this is the same, the same person I met so many years ago that God is now transforming and changing and, and dwelling with her. So... This passage was very small, uh, but it was filled with a lot of truth and wisdom, and it it really helped me understand what my role was on campus as a student. And for our fellowship, it was the foundation that we used to come back to campus after uh, Christmas, and and it launched us into ministry. Our staff said, I know that you guys like doing Bible study together, but we're going to stop the Bible studies, and you guys are all going to lead your own Bible studies with your non-Christian friends. And that was a big risk. That's a big ask to shut down a fellowship and to say, well, we care more about the mission of God, so we're going to go out and see what God has for us. It was a risk. It was scary. Uh, some people said, no, this isn't for me. A lot of us said yes, and we saw God do incredible things. We got to live out uh, John 1, 14 on campus. Uh, not just that year, but the next four years of, of my undergrad. Uh, so after all of that... Um, I decided to do an internship with InterVarsity after I graduated. Um, I kind of had a decision, you know, I could go work or, or start applying for supply jobs as a teacher. Um, but I felt, uh, someone gave me some really good advice. They said, pick the place where you think that you will continue to grow in your commitment to follow Jesus. Uh, what's the place you, you, can, you can choose where your relationship with God will flourish? And I said, well, maybe an internship would be a good idea. Um, so I signed up. I got sent to Toronto to help replant uh, the high school ministry in the city. So I was assuming I'd get sent to a university uh, far, far away. Instead, I got sent, I got sent home to do work with youth uh, in Etobicoke. Uh, so we really were just dropped into the West End with nothing. Just There were six of us, and they said, figure out how to plant a ministry. Uh, and it was really fun. So we started going into schools, talking to principals, trying to find students at youth groups. And slowly we we found ways to get into the schools. God had opened the doors. We never got a no to be in the high schools. We started forming the Christian clubs with the students. We would have after-school Bible study, lunch Bible study. We would watch Alpha 
lead discussion groups. And at one point, we, I didn't have a classroom to meet with my students, so I would just pull my car up into the parking lot, and they would come into my car, and we would have a prayer meeting in my car. And after a month, I realized that was really weird, and I should stop, and I should get a classroom. And then we prayed and got a classroom, so that was good. <laughs> um, one of the... I think I have some pictures, do I? Yes, high school ministry. Bible study... Some, we, we realized that throwing parties was the best way to get non-Christian students to the Christian club. So we threw Christmas parties, Easter parties, Thanksgiving parties. Uh, I think this was a get-to-know-each-other uh, speed-friending thing. Um, and slowly the ministry grew and we had many students uh, just coming to investigate who Jesus is. Uh, one of my favorite parts of this time was the traveling prayer parties. We had a couple leaders in a couple schools, and we'd gather them once a month to pray for Etobicoke. Um, and then they would kind of go and tell the rest of the fellowship at the schools what had happened. Uh, but slowly they said, you know what, we, we want more people to come to this. So each school invited all the other schools to come over, to pray together, to pray for the school, to meet each other. Eventually, and one of the prayer meetings that was out on the field. So... It was really cool to see it's, uh, the ministry start from really nothing, maybe just one or two students, uh, to grow to a, a group who were ready to see what Jesus had for them uh, in their schools. Uh, one of the other cool things we got to be a part of was camp. So we would go up and work with leaders at uh, Pioneer Camp Ontario. Um, and one of uh, our staff, Ashley, on the bottom Right. She did not want to go to camp. It was, she had never been before. Um, but she went and, uh, before we went to camp, we were praying around a school called Michael Powers. It's a Catholic school. And we were thinking, God, we think you're going to do something here. We think that maybe there's an opportunity here, but we couldn't find students and we couldn't figure out how to get into the Catholic schools. Um, the first day of the LIT program, um, we meet MG, the guy in the back. And it was a very brief conversation. Hi, how are you? Who, what's your name? MG? Oh, I'm so what school do you go to? Oh, I go to Michael Powers. You know, it'd be really cool if there was something happening there. I feel like there's there's no Christians at the school, or there's not a lot of faith. Yeah, I've been thinking about starting something. And I said, I have just the person you, you should meet, Ashley. Um, so out of that summer, Ashley and MG started a group at Michael Powers. Uh, the, the school uh, didn't give them a classroom for a couple months, so they met with about 10 to 12 students at Tim Hortons across the street for a while. Um, but yeah, we, we kind of just found MGs all over the city. A couple students at each school who were really excited to do something um, in their high school. Uh, and that's who, who we worked with. Um, and it's pretty amazing uh, because there's not... One of the problems is a lot of the Christian students think that they are the only Christians in their high school. They think there's not a single other Christian uh, believer... Um, in the school. Um, so when they find each other, it really was an incredible thing to see how um, just the partnership between the students could launch, launch a group. Uh, so one of the things that happened about seven years ago was a study was done across Canada to try and figure out why were young people leaving the church. It was called hemorrhaging faith. And the survey pointed out that about uh, one, no, the survey found out uh, that out of the young adults who grew up in church, only one out of three remained in church uh, as an adult. Uh, most of the most most of them left the church around high school and around the transition between high school and university. Uh, so that's what, one of the reasons why high school ministry was restarted in Toronto to kind of meet this need. Um, one other thing I wanted to highlight was an event called Transition One Hundred and One. Uh, so it kind of started with again out of this report trying to help figure out students how they can transition from 
uh, high school to university. Um, so it's a day where grade 12 students meet uh, upper-year students from the university or a college that they're going to in the fall. Uh, so the hope is they have someone who will connect with them. So if you know any grade 12s, please send them my way. <laughs> so that's a, a very quick summary of, like, of five years of uh, ministry in Etobicoke with the high schools. Um, it was an amazing time. We saw around 10 groups start in 10 different schools, new programs, uh, new uh, initiatives, and we got to work with uh, hundreds of campers over the summer. One of the passages that kept coming up again and again over the five years was Luke 5, 1 to 11. Uh, it's the story where Jesus calls Simon Peter to follow him. And it's one of my go-to passages with students because uh, it really catches their attention. And God has used it to show me how he invites us uh, to say yes to him, first in some small ways and then later in some big ways. Uh, so this passage, it's close to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And Jesus has been teaching and preaching. Uh, and just before this encounter with Simon, Jesus has healed Simon's mother-in-law. Uh, so I want to share this passage and some, uh, some reflections um, with you. So one day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So students always point out that this is a huge invasion of privacy and space, that Jesus is stealing a boat with Simon still inside, and they think Jesus is very rude. Uh, so Jesus is in a place of authority. Uh, he's a teacher, so it'd be difficult for Simon to say no. Also, Simon kind of owes Jesus one for healing his mother-in-law. And even though Simon is probably exhausted from fishing all night and really frustrated that he caught nothing— he doesn't protest, and Simon is now stuck in the boat while Jesus is preaching. Uh, this is a very sneaky discipleship move technique uh, that I have used with students as well. I just show up at, at different events where they are and say, hey, I'm here. Uh, they, they feel uncomfortable with it. But <laughs> I also think Jesus kind of does this with us and has done this many times in my life. When I'm coming to the end of a stressful season of ministry or it seems like nothing is happening and all I want to do is turn in for the day, hide in my room, admit defeat, Jesus comes in and says, actually, there's something I want to say to you. There's something I want to show you. There's one more thing I, I want to ask of you. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So again, when I do this study with students, they get stuck here for quite a while debating what, whether or not uh, Jesus, uh, whether or not Simon agrees because he's obligated or he has a lot of faith. <laughs> Uh, we also talk about the historical context and how Jesus is actually asking Simon to do something a bit ridiculous and out of the ordinary. You don't catch fish in deep water, you don't fish during the day, and you don't take a boat out when you've just finished cleaning it and you are tired. So Simon, the fisherman, the expert, is probably thinking this rabbi has no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> so in this passage, I think Jesus is offering Simon an invitation. And he offers many small invitations after invitations. And each time the ask gets a little bigger and a bit deeper and requires a bit more of Simon. And at this point in the journey, Simon could have said no. 
Students always point this out. I would have said no by this point. I would have just gone home. Uh, And I think Jesus does the same with us. He's always offering us opportunities to come and see, to ask questions, to stretch us, to grow us, to show us who he is. And sometimes it's a little inconvenient, and sometimes it's a little bit scary, or sometimes it feels like it's ridiculous. And God is always giving us an invitation, an opportunity to say yes in some way to him. So it starts off by saying yes to leading a Bible study, to showing up at a a service, to going to a conference, to doing an internship, to fundraising, uh, to teaching. Um, And God was faithful in all of those little invites. Uh, And when we see that God is faithful and we can trust him, we're more likely to say yes to the bigger invitations that he makes or gives us. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Simon's partner, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Uh, So Simon says yes, and then Simon sees an incredible miracle. And it's not just a regular miracle. I think it's a very personal miracle. Uh, Because only a fisherman would understand the significance of what just happened. Uh, Only a fisherman would know that, that this kind of catch at this time, at this location, was impossible and required something divine. So Simon understands who Jesus is, that he is in the presence of God. And his response is, is he's a little afraid. <laughs> um, in the Old Testament, if you're in the presence of God, normally you die. So Simon, I think, is a little afraid. He's afraid of dying. His sin makes him incompatible with Jesus. And given what he knows about God, that he's not wrong. But Jesus, the word that came to dwell among us, says that, he, Simon, you have nothing to be afraid of. And he offers Simon something new. Uh, I, we often hear how Jesus picked really unlikely disciples. He didn't go to the temple to get his disciples, but he picked people who didn't make the cut, who weren't chosen the first time around, who didn't feel particularly qualified for the job. Yet for some reason, out of Jesus' love, generosity, uh, he offers Simon an opportunity of a lifetime, a new name, a new job, a new life. Uh, he says to him, Simon, you see what I have done with these fish? Now imagine that I can do the same with people. And I want you to be a part of that work. Yes, you're a sinful man, but I can make something new out of you. And this last invitation is so compelling to Simon that he leaves everything behind to follow him. And I don't think Simon would be able to say yes to this big invitation if he hadn't said yes to the little ones along the way. If he didn't uh, let Jesus get into his boat, if he didn't push out into deep water, if he didn't cast the nets down, he would have missed this opportunity and this invitation. And this is a huge invitation. It requires some extreme sacrifices on Simon's part. He has to leave behind a very expensive pile of fish, a career, a family, security, comfort. It's a big invitation with a big sacrifice, but uh, he sees it's worth it. Um, he gets a new life beyond his wildest expectations. And I think that's the same type of invitation Jesus often makes to us. Leave behind the old, I have something much better for you. And my question for you is, what is the invitation Jesus is extending to you? Where do you find yourself in this story? 
Is Jesus invading your space and trying to get your attention in a particular area, or he's trying to say something to you, get you to listen? Uh, Maybe he's asking you to do something that seems a little bit ridiculous or out of the ordinary, a risk that requires a little bit of trust and a little bit of faith. Or maybe you don't feel particularly qualified to participate in what God is doing, but God is inviting you and saying, I can make something new. Or maybe Jesus is actually, you're standing on the shore and Jesus is inviting you to leave some things behind, uh, an old way of thinking, some security or comfort, and follow him. I really believe, and I have seen this to be true, that Jesus is always giving us invitations, big and small, and all of them are significant, and help us exercise faith and trust God, and most of all, just see that God is really faithful. So, is there something big or small that Jesus is inviting you to say yes to? And for me, that was uh, coming to U of G, moving downtown and starting to work with university students. At the beginning of the passage, it says that Jesus was standing at the Lake of Gennesaret. And I like to add, and he was in the business of catching people. Uh, And he caught Simon. Uh, And this is the same way I think Jesus caught me in university. Invaded my space, invited me with some small invitations. Go to church, get baptized, lead a Bible study, go to a conference, join leadership. Maybe do an internship, even though it seems a little bit ridiculous and your family's not that happy. Uh, uh, Fundraise, pray for a car, get a car, join staff, stay on staff, live with people, live alone. All of these little and big invitations uh, that God continuously put in front of me, and I said yes. And then I got to see God do some pretty incredible things. Uh, I came to this passage again when I was trying to decide, okay, well, I've seen some incredible things. It's been really great five years with doing this high school ministry. Uh, what do I do next? I, we caught some fish, and I felt like God was saying, I'm inviting you again to, to participate in my kingdom. But I think I felt a bit like Peter. I was a bit tired. Um, I was a bit, I felt a bit inadequate. I'm like, I, well, I don't know if there's much, much more I can do. I'm a bit afraid. These five years have been great. They've been amazing, an amazing experience. But can I just stay in the boat? Maybe can we just like fish right here? Uh, do we have to go anywhere else? Do I have to keep fundraising? Do I have to keep disagreeing with my family about doing ministry? Uh, could, could we just maybe not go anywhere else? <laughs> and Jesus said to me, Vera, I am standing uh, on the edge of Toronto, and I'm going to revive this city. And I'm in the business of catching people. And if you want, you can come along, and you can restore the city with me. And so kind of said, okay, Jesus, I'll say yes one more time and see what happens. Uh, and I'm so glad that I did, because this past two years has been filled with more joy and movement than I ever expected or anticipated. That leads me to U of T. There we go. <laughs> Uh, so after graduating from high school ministry, I followed some of my students to university. They were not too happy about that, but I was thrilled. <laughs> um, I came to U of T, and there was a bunch of graduating students. So we were really starting from scratch. Um, I, my best guess was to start a first-year Bible study, and we had two people coming. Um, we were all a little disappointed. <laughs> we were hoping for a bit more. Uh, but we prayed, and we said, God, Bring some more people. Next week we had four, and the week after that, somehow we had 15. I felt like God was uh, showing me he had gone ahead of me, and he had prepared the way. Uh, All I had to do was kind of show up. (laughs) The last year was uh, about building, so trying to get leaders. Uh, But everywhere I went, I I found new first years. I found new leaders. And by the end of the year, we had six uh, second-year leaders committed to uh, running the fellowship. Uh, one of the cool things is, 
Yeah, so these are some of the leaders um, that came. It's, this is the new student outreach. So it happens at the beginning of each, uh, each year. Uh, some of the things that we do, just to share, we have Bible studies. Uh, they like to name them uh, interesting things <laughs> uh, at different uh, on campus. And we have community dinners. This is the place where we're at. we tell our students, if you have any non-Christian friends, invite them over to have uh, some food, uh, meet some of your friends. Um, and one of the amazing things that's been happening is the joint large groups. So there's a couple fellowships across the city, uh, and for the first time, I think, in a very long time, in many years, they have actually come together um, to meet. It's kind of similar to the traveling prayer party, which has been really cool to see. So these are some of the students from Ryerson, OCAD, York, and U of T. Uh, one of the other things that happened was I got four interns this year, uh, who I live with now. Um, but it really felt like God has, uh, this was the big catch. Uh, this was what happened after the big catch. The high school ministry was this incredible experience, uh, but this was, uh, coming to U of T, uh, felt like experiencing God's faithfulness in a whole new way. Uh, right now, our students are focusing on something called breaking the huddle. So they've been convinced that we, we don't want to be a huddled community. We want to be a witnessing community on campus. And we want to focus on helping the Christian students in our fellowship make non-Christian friends. So this has been really exciting, uh, and there's so many other stories I could share, uh, but I think I'm running out of time. <laughs> if you guys want to just know more, feel free to ask me. I also have an email list, uh, so I send out stories about once a month, um, and I'm going to be in the back with my computer so you can pass, pass on your email. Uh, people often ask me, what are the challenges you experience doing student ministry? And I think finding students who are willing to give up their lives for Jesus, that, that's, that's the challenge. Um, they're really preoccupied um, with getting, getting good grades, getting good jobs, uh, getting people to like them. Uh, sometimes it's hard to find the time in their schedules for them to, to come um, and lead and learn. Uh, Howard Ganess, the guy who came to Canada a long time ago in 1928, he has this really great quote that we often go back to and read. Uh, but it says, Where are the young men and women of this generation who will hold their lives cheap and be faithful even unto death, who will lose their lives for Christ, flinging them away for love of him? Where are those who will live dangerously and be reckless in this service? Where are the men and women of prayer? Where are they who count God's word? of more importance to them than their daily food? Where are those who, like Moses of old, commune with God face to face as a man speaks with his friend? Where are God's people in this day of God's power? And there are students like that. There are students like MG who are really excited about what God is doing around them and in their context. But we need more. So that's the thing I would ask you to pray for with the ministry, uh, that students would give their lives to Jesus. Um, and see their school as a mission field, um, and that we would see more and more students in Toronto come to know who Jesus is. Thank you. So it's a, it's a great joy. It's a great joy to have Vera share today, and uh, I have some cards here, and Vera has some more, which will be on the table, which uh, a bit more information about her and a picture to remind you to pray for her. Um, so uh, she is on the budget of New Life Church. So if you are giving to New Life Church, you're giving some of that is going to Vera. But if you'd like to give some more to Vera, all you have to do is to write on your check or your internet interact deposit or whatever for Vera 
and that money will go directly to her. So uh, we really want to support what she's doing. Also, we're going to be putting a link to her newsletter in our weekly newsletter uh, as a church as well. So um, I'd like to just challenge you with the challenge that she brought us. That what is Jesus inviting you into, whether small or big, this morning? Is there something where he's saying, you're just very comfortable there, but I'm inviting you to step out into this. And I want you to consider that um, Vera took a lot of risks, and God really showed her some amazing, exciting things, and is still doing that. And it's not that it's a, you're suffering by following Jesus, you're actually getting a life that really counts and a life that's a blessing. So I'm just going to close in prayer now and we're going to particularly pray for Vera. Father, we thank you for what you've done with Vera's life and particularly want to pray for the ministry that she has going forward in this university, that there will be a great harvest. Lord, you want a revival in Toronto. Lord, we believe that. We want to see many, many people saved, brought into your kingdom. But we do pray that she'll be one of those who is used by you. But Lord, all of us here, Lord, we pray that you would stir us up to reach into the lives of those we know who are not yours, not following you, to reach into their lives and to invite them into a relationship with Jesus. Lord, we ask this. We ask, Lord, for you to challenge each one of us here as to what you're inviting us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen.